I personally am absolutely waiting for companies to make a sweater that I can share with my chair. A sweater you can share with your chair. Yep, that got your attention, didn't it? That's exactly what Lisa White is telling us all about here. And it's just one of the upcoming trends for 2023, which we will be discussing in this special episode of Create Tomorrow. So something that's a really cozy knit, sits on the back of my chair, looks amazing. And when I'm on Zoom call like this, you know, I can sit there and I can cover myself with this particular um, sweater. It goes around my neck, it keeps my arms free. It looks absolutely amazing. So I would love that to be a mass market reality personally. You'll hear more about the sweater for a chair in a little while. But first, a warm welcome to everybody tuning into this episode, which is always my favourite episode of the Crate Tomorrow Year. Why? Because today we are talking about our biggest trend predictions for 2023 and beyond. All the brilliant brains across WGSN have given their input to the coming trends. And if you're a WGSN subscriber, then you can access the full list on every topic from food and drink to consumer tech interiors and fashion and beauty and lots more on our website right now. In this podcast, we will go over some of the main trends and talk about why we think they will be big in the coming years. My name is Carla Bazashi and I'm the CEO of WGSN. With me today, I have, as earlier mentioned, Lisa White, our creative director, and Andrea Bell, VP of Consumer Insights. Now, Andrea, let's start with you. Many of the trends predicted by your team obviously have to do with consumer behavior. So why don't you kick us off with your first trend? So from the consumer team, we really feel that DSO or decentralized social media is going to come in incredibly strong for 2023. There's so many drivers within it. One, we kind of know the pandemic really accelerated the use of social media, but it spotlighted some big problems, you know, user control, privacy, misinformation. And this really led to what, what is essentially decentralized networks. So it's think independent servers, not owned by big corporations, kind of blockchain technology to govern the future of social media. But it was really, really telling for us when we were debating for 2023, would it come in early? was Jack Dorsey, um, who is the founder of Twitter. And he said recently, I think the most important thing to focus on in terms of decentralizing social media is that it creates a much larger corpus of conversation. And this leads into he is currently building Blue Sky, which is an open source decentralized social media protocol. So if you really think about that shift from someone who's created Twitter, which is arguably the, the largest social media platform in terms of conversation, has now said, oh, we might have got that slightly wrong and is now going DSO. Lots of the terminology that you've just used, if you work in technology or if you work in consumer insight, is going to sound kind of normal and part of your vocabulary. But for lots of people, it definitely won't. So how quick do you think the adoption of this is really going to be with everyday people who are not working within the industry? I think every day we'll, we'll, see, we'll start to see some early adoption coming in right now. I mean, and, and this isn't just Gen Z. I think there's a misnomer that only Gen Z is going to be looking for these decentralized uh, places of free speech or, or not kind of being governed by a big corporation. We're starting to see it with Gen X and millennials as well. So I, we probably predict that it's going to be about mid-year next year when people start to find these other platforms. And that's because truly they're, they're being built right now and people are testing them. So you have Blue Sky, which is essentially think about just a social media platform where 
where you can talk, where you can engage with users, you can share knowledge. And it has already had 30,000 signups in less than two days when it launched for beta. There's another one we're tracking called Discover. And again, it's it's essentially already has 100,000 users and they're doing everything that they would on these other platforms, except they really own the content, they own the journey, and they're really good at moderating what would be hate speech or kind of fact-checking false information that we know just gets spread so quickly these days. Is part of it just a general dissatisfaction with the social media platforms we've got at the moment? And clearly some of those, some of the ones you've mentioned have been making headlines in the last few weeks and months. Yes, it's a mix of that, Carla, exactly, where people are saying, you know, I feel like my voice isn't being heard or there's so many bots or things that are really making this negative, you know, driving this kind of dismal scrolls. But there's also a separate side, which is about pay quality and making sure that content creators are being paid fairly. And so that's a large shift, too, especially as the creator economy rises, where people are saying, you know, look, I'm creating content, I'm creating this data and it's being used for these platforms to incentivize them. And, and they're getting basically a cut of these profits. But I'm struggling to, you know, kind of pay my bills. So it's a mixture of we want to create these, these spaces that we feel are truly safe and informative. But we also want to make sure we're kind of getting something back in this data exchange. Lisa, I'm going to come to you now because another of the trends that's on the list is digital minimalism, which sounds like the polar opposite to what Andrea's talking about. So have we got conflicting trends here or is there an association between the two? I think there definitely is an association between the two because I don't know about you, but I'm really kind of tired sometimes of the devices that demand my attention all the time. You know, things that are pinging and lighting up all over the place. And, you know, they're, you know, it's something to ask, you know, your attention when you don't want to give it as well, too. And it makes people feel anxious and overwhelmed. And I know I'm not alone in this. There was a recent study in Canada, in France, Italy, Germany, the UK, and the US. And 47% of respondents said that they actively seek downtime from internet-enabled devices due to digital fatigue. And digital fatigue is a real thing. We get so much from social media and so much from um, digital, but we need to take a break sometimes too. And like, it's really interesting because tech brands are starting to respond to this, what, what they're calling calm tech principles. And those are ambient devices that help reduce stress by taking on certain ta- tasks on, um, autonomously and delivering more gentle notifications, especially. And those are uh, notifications that feed into the human senses. So one example is Google Seed Studio. And they released something called Little Signals. And those are six experimental smart devices that communicate with you via gentle movements, taps, and sounds. And that was a really interesting part of the domesticated design report because basically tech is getting more and more domestic at the same time. So I don't know, sometimes even for me, a nudge can sometimes feel like too much. So I'm hoping for even calmer tech in the future. Yeah, I think there's a real point. I broke for lunch earlier and I was sitting eating my soup because I'm in the UK and it's quite cold at the moment. And I had Slack notifications going off and I don't have any sounds, but those vibrations and there was, because some people I communicate, sort of every sentence they send it as a different alert and you're stressed just sitting there, even though I know it's probably not something that I need to, something was a little little more subtle certainly would be welcomed right now, especially when there's so many different ways that we're contactable and so many different devices giving us notifications. And there's yeah, ways that digital can actually give back to you as well, too. And I'm seeing the crossover in interior design. There's this really great um, new lamp called the Tornasole lamp. It's made of very beautiful Murano glass, and it changes in color according to the level of air quality. So again, it's very calm tech, quiet tech. It's giving you the information, but it's not pinging it to you. 
That's lovely. Now, you've just brought up interiors. You run WGSN Interiors. This is probably quite a nice segue. What's a really key interiors trend that people should be looking out for? I know one that's really resonated with a lot of people. And first of all, it makes them laugh. We're calling it sweaters for furniture. And, you know, there's really practical reasons why this is going to be important because, you know, consumers are dressing up their furniture to renovate and update and customize. But it also because it softens things as well, too, and makes them warmer. And obviously, myself included, I'm sitting here with two sweaters on. Things are cold right now, and we do need to turn the energy um, down a little bit um, to cope with the cost of living crisis and with what's going on with the climate crisis. So we're seeing the house and the furnishings get are getting softer and warmer at the same time. So it's also about covering up old and new furniture with textiles and knits that are that much cozier. And it's a really great way to update things, too, with color and tactility with minimal cost. There's a real sustainability angle here, which I really love, which is you don't have to throw something away and you don't have to be an expert in upholstery or anything like that. It's just a way of updating what you've already got in quite a trend-led, fashionable way, but practical as well. So it ticks a lot of boxes. It does. It does. If you're a consumer and you love the idea of this trend, where should people be buying chair jumpers from? Well, I think there's different ways that you can do it. I personally am absolutely waiting for companies to make a sweater that I can share with my chair. So something that's a really cozy knit, sits on the back of my chair, looks amazing. And when I'm on Zoom call like this, you know, I can sit there and I can cover myself with this particular um, sweater. It goes around my neck, it keeps my arms free. It looks absolutely amazing. So I would love that to be a mass market reality personally. In a minute, we will shift to talking more about the coming trends. But first, I have a little announcement. We are launching a new podcast, or actually I am launching a new podcast. It's called Lives of Tomorrow. And the first episodes are already out, so find it where you normally get your podcasts. In Lives of Tomorrow, I look at how our lives will be shaped in the near future. What the changes we are facing will mean for you and me in our daily lives. So while Create Tomorrow is all about design and products, Lives of Tomorrow is about how the world and our lives are changing. And my guest in the coming episode is actually Andrea Bell, where we will have a deep conversation about anxiety in younger generations and what that will mean for them as they move through life. One thing I really want to do in this new podcast is to ask my guests some reoccurring questions. So here's a little sample of me trying that out with Andrea Bell. Number one, why do you work? Because I seek knowledge and at the core I'm a knowledge seeker and I love to learn. Do you have a sense of purpose in your work? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. My purpose every day when I get up is how can, how can I make the world more equitable for myself, my colleagues and my clients? Do you have a sense of purpose in life? Yes, I would say my purpose in life right now is is welfare to work in terms of like volunteer programs. So I'm, I'm volunteering at a prison uh, for women that are incarcerated that don't have access to technology. What makes you happy? Oh my gosh. I feel like this is the Prowse questionnaire. Um, <laughs> at the core thing at the end of the day that I find happiness is very, very probably what everyone is being with my family. When are you offline? This is going to be a bad one, Carla. Probably never. 
my challenge is, this sounds like an excuse. I feel like I'm in like an online addiction class here. Um, (laughs) My challenge is what we do so much is research. And at the core, I love to read and I love to see what people are sharing. So it's not necessarily social media. It's just different forums, different groups. So I, I could be better at this, much better. I raise my hand. So please check out our new podcast. Again, it's called Lives of Tomorrow and it's out right now on all major podcast platforms. So let's get back into Create Tomorrow and my conversation with Lisa White, our Creative Director, and Andrea Bell, our VP of Consumer Insights. We're going to shift to food and drink in a minute, and I'm going to take one of my favourite trends that's on the list. I get asked a lot when I meet people for the first time what I do for a living, obviously. And when I say I work in trend forecasting, everyone wants to know what that means. And a really good way of doing that is talking about particular food and drink trends, because everybody eats and everybody drinks, maybe not alcoholically, but everyone eats and drinks. And so things perhaps that they might not have consumed in years gone past, but now they do, they can understand what that means in terms of trends. So I've always got got my eye on a really good food or drink trend that I can drop into conversation. So in the past, I've talked a lot about the rise of orange wine, because that's something that a few years ago, no one had heard of. And now it's much more common on kind of restaurant menus and in bars and things. So I loved Sotol, which I hadn't heard of until our food and drink team brought this to the list for next year, which is actually a Mexican spirit. Like lots of these spirits, it's been around for decades, if not hundreds and hundreds of years, but in one particular country. And it's just beginning to get prominence now outside of Mexico. So if anyone's drunk tequila or started drinking mezcal in recent years, we believe Sotol will be the next it spirit that you're going to start seeing in kind of cool hipster bars. And then potentially, as we look further afield, it might even make its way into your cocktail cabinet. I'm actually recording this with my cocktail cabinet behind me. There is no Sotol in there. There is definitely Mezcal. So maybe when we record this next year, we'll see whether it's been updated because maybe it will have made its way to supermarket shelves in the UK. We'll wait and see. But that's definitely one of my favourites. Right. Shall we go back to technology? because we've swerved away from that and we definitely don't want the entire podcast to to be about technology, but it's a really big area in terms of innovation and it's something that certainly informs a lot of other industries and other trends. So Andrea, I'm going to come back to you. What's another tech trend that people should have their eyes out for? I'm still stuck on Sotol. We'll have to check next year if, if it's behind you. That'll be our confirmation next podcast. Is it, is it still there? <laughs> I think the biggest one is that, you know, just data globally is suggesting that we're going to be very quickly in everyday AR. So a recent Snap Inc. survey said that 75% of the world population will use AR pretty much every day by 2025. If you think about it, as we're coming into 2023, it's not that far away. I mean, we all know we blink and it's the next year. And there's different ways that it's being kind of adopted and people are becoming more comfortable with it. You know, Lisa and I have have talked about this for quite some time about 10 years ago, if you said AR, it was really scary. It was very Uncanny Valley-esque. And now people are comfortable with it. We're using it on our smartphones already. We're seeing AR navigation in cars where people are truly turning to it. It's kind of coming up on the dashboard and, and helping you get there, telling you where a gas station is, or if you have an electronic vehicle, tells you where a charging station is. So I think that the fear factor that was once there is diminishing slightly. But that doesn't say people are 100% all for AR. But I think people are realizing that it's already kind of here. And how do they make it work for them? 
I think what's interesting about AR is it often got looped in with VR and AR and people again thought these were terminologies that were only for people living in Silicon Valley and they weren't going to become part of our everyday lives. But ever so subtly, as we've got so much more used to wearing devices and sort of making a technology part of our everyday, they don't seem quite so scary. And also, obviously, prices have come down as the big companies have started manufacturing these things in ever greater numbers. So you can definitely see that sort of tipping point that we're not too far off. Obviously, when you've got, you know, some of the biggest technology companies in the world changing their names to reflect how the world is going to change in the future and taking more ownership in these areas. I can totally see how this is going to take off. Lisa, from your perspective, though, as this becomes part of our everyday, is it going to blend in better in the interiors and our homes around us, do you think? Exactly. I mean, I think that whole going back to the home tech um, and digital in the home is really interesting. And we're just seeing, you know, like digital minimalism that, you know, we talked about it from a tech perspective. We're looking at it from an aesthetic perspective as well. And really taking a look at how things that are normally minimal are getting this really great edge to them as well, too. So it's kind of a really important move on from industrial. So it's softer with calming effects that look kind of screened or brushed, kind of like digital renders in a way, too. And so we're seeing a lot of products that work on screen and off, and those are tech-enabled products in many ways, too. Really great is this um, example that I found recently. It's from a digital designer named Bureau Benjamin. And he had done all these beautiful renders during the pandemic and got invited finally to create one of his lamps in real life. But the way he's done it, it looks completely um, digital. It looks completely something you could only only dream about, but it's actually a very beautiful, very useful lamp as well, too. So just going back and forth with this idea of soft tech and digital minimalism is just interesting, you know, the real life and the digital life that are combined. The problem with every conversation I have with you, Lisa, is it makes me want to go and add things into my home. And I know if I do, they're going to be so beautiful. So as you're saying all of these names, I'm scribbling them rapidly down in my Google search history straight after this podcast are going to be all these names of these beautiful items. Okay, I'm going to take one that was one of my favourites on the list. And this is a particular superfood, but it's actually one which is gaining traction in the beauty industry. And one of the fascinating things I find about what we do as Trend Forecast is seeing how trends pop up in one industry and then transfer over to another. Beauty is definitely one of those worlds where things that are happening in the food world, particular ingredients that people are getting used to, then tra- tra- traverse their way into our you know, bathroom cabinets and sometimes vice versa as well. So one of the big predictions from the WGSM beauty team is CMOS. So this is a real kind of buzzy new ingredient that no doubt you will begin to see on a um, kind of chemist stores and on those kind of innovator beauty platforms. And it really fits nicely with two of our top beauty trends for this year, 2022, which were wild bathing and coastal foraging. Um, And so you can kind of see this very sea influenced um, manifestation of some of those trends that we had predicted before. We've certainly seen coming to the forefront in the last 12 months. Now, the hashtag CMOS has already reached over 450 million views on TikTok. So already been confirmed, those big social media platforms, that's what people are posting about. That's what they're searching for as well. But it's actually a generalized term. So it basically describes thousands of different species of red algae and different seaweeds that grow across the world. So this isn't particular to a certain region or country. 
And we think that the interest in this is rising at the moment because of the holistic wellness benefits that it can provide. But I also think there's this sustainability angle as well. We've become a lot more educated about how amazing seaweed is. You know, it regenerates itself. It's easier to get hold of. And it's sucking in all that carbon dioxide that we as humans are creating. And I love the idea that something that's so good for the planet can also be really good for our skin as well. So again, if, we, if we're if we not recording this podcast next year in front of my drinks cabinet, maybe we'll do it in front of my bathroom cabinet and see how many CMOS inspired products are popping up in there as well. Were there any particular food or drink or beauty trends that spoke to either of you when you were looking down the list that we're about to publish? Carla, not to piggyback off of CMOS, but I was in the Pacific Northwest recently and I was there for a family vacation and I was staying at this hotel. And long story short, they had they must be subscribers to WGSN, but they had an outdoor bathing pool where you could get an algae mask and body scrub. And it was just it was all sourced right there from the Pacific Northwest. You know, I mean, talk about farm to face, which is another key beauty trend. It was phenomenal. So as soon as that came up, I was I was a big fan and I tried it and it was really nice. The other strange thing, speaking of seaweed that might you know come in is, you know, you can pickle it and use it as pickles. Oh, wow. No, I didn't. Seaweed pickles for drinks and fermentation and everything. So there we go. That'll be our 2024 one. <laughs> Amazing. I've just gone, oh, no, I didn't know that. But I was in Cornwall in the UK last week and ate at this amazing restaurant run by a chef called Emily Scott. And it was a fish and seafood tasting menu, these beautiful, very, very small plates. And one of the dishes, there were these seaweed pickles. Now, I didn't know you could do it at home, but I did actually taste some of those last week and they were absolutely sensational. So maybe I'll try doing some of that. I tend to go for kind of pickling from more of the aesthetic perspective because it looks great and gorgeous kiln the jars rather than it's something that I might actually want to eat. If I've pickled it myself, which I'm probably not going to want to eat it myself. What about you, Lisa? Is there anything in there that you think that we've missed so far that really stood out for you? I mean, I don't want to say this again, but you've pointed out what um, Andrea pointed out, that algae in the seaweed is really going to scale this coming year. And we talked about mycelium in the previous conversations, I remember, and you know, look what happened with that. But we're really seeing also a lot of algae-based alternative things, obviously for food, but then really for fashion as well, too, where you've got lower impact fibers and foams and materials, and they're really interesting alternatives to polyester and nylon. So I was literally on a Creative Hub meeting right before this, and we're talking about what's inspiring us. And of course, this, you know, teams in, you know, several different countries. And out of the five people in the meeting, two of them were talking about seaweed and bio-based materials. So I really think in so many ways, this whole idea of algae and seaweed, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be in the bricks that are making, you know, our homes. It's going to be in our kilner jars. It's going to be on our bodies. So there's a really beautiful illustration for this as well, too, in the, in the top trends where you can just kind of feel the seaweed growing up your body in a very gorgeous, um, actually quite sexy way. We actually haven't talked about fashion a huge amount during this discussion, just kind of hinting in there in terms of fabrics. But from a fashion perspective, our team are predicting the rise of the modular sneaker. And this is part of that kind of movement of clothing that is multi-purpose. Now, that's not a new trend in and of itself. We've certainly seen fabrics that are much more adaptable, clothing that you can wear during the day, 
whether that's for meetings and things, but also then do exercise without having a, to have a complete outfit change. And the modulus sneaker is definitely fitting under that category as well. So in terms of you being able to add bits on, take things off, rather than having to buy multiple different pairs of trainers or sneakers, depending on where in the world you are and what you call them. Um, and this also resonated with me as someone who travels quite a lot for work and only ever packs hand luggage. I cannot be bothered to wait for things to come out once I've cleared customs. But a trainer which looks good, that I can wear into the office, that looks great if I'm on stage speaking, but I could also run in, really sounds great. Because as a general rule, I'm trying to fit about three different trainers in whenever I travel. So that's one of our key fashion trends. Uh, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that coming to, uh, coming to a uh, website or a sportswear brand pretty quickly. Just a quick reminder here, you are listening to Create Tomorrow. Today, we're rounding the year up and looking at top trends for 2023 and beyond. My guests in this episode are Andre Bell, VP of Consumer Insights, and Lisa White, Creative Director of WGSN. Now, let's just look back a little bit because we've always got to hold ourselves to account as well. So just in terms of some of the trends that we predicted this time last year, which are the ones that you have seen kind of tipping over into the mass? Andre, I'll start with you. The largest one from last year from a technology perspective, too, was the direct-to-avatar economy, or kind of D2A, which essentially just means that. It's the mass adoption of avatars in our daily lives, creating new worlds, helping us learn about product in a, a knowledge way. And what's interesting is when we speak of fashion, it's kind of hitting fashion very accelerated speed. So when we think about where it started, which again, probably four years ago, it, it started as people kind of thought, mm, no one's going to look into a metaverse world for fashion influence. But now a lot of brands are playing in the space. One that we thought was really fantastic was Van. So kind of the U.S. skate youth brand, I'm sure we're all very familiar. They actually opened up a, a skate world, a skate park called Vans Worlds. It tied in with Roblox. But what was fascinating is you could create your own avatar and go in and skate. The other thing that was interesting from a strategic point of view is you were gifted one free virtual item and then you could also use that for a real, real shoe, a real hat. Again, so it was this, this idea of this digital world, this meta world that was purely avatar driven. And then the other one that we think is tying in with, you know, the, the buzz movie, Barbie, we all can't get enough of looking at this, this trailer at WGSN. It's been shared across all the teams is Mattel actually did a direct to avatar. And they're, and they're really kind of targeting Gen Alpha with this. But they partnered with big fashion brand Forever 21 and created Shop City. And you could buy the avatar kind of Barbie looks. There was a D to A influencers that came on and told you how to style it, what you wanted, what pieces. And then, of course, you could buy them in store. So in terms of one that we talked about last year that I'm sure a few of our listeners were like, really? No one's going to be buying clothes from an avatar. We can just see how, how quickly that has spread and been adopted. Yeah, if Barbie's doing it, then it's definitely hit mass, I would say. Okay, Lisa, I'm coming to you. Now, listeners to this podcast obviously can't see Lisa at the moment, but Lisa always has this beautiful backdrop with loads of gorgeous houseplants. I often have a backdrop of lots of houseplants, but they're not normally in quite good health as the ones that are behind Lisa. So potentially one that had to do with that theme? Well, yeah, that is actually the one I wanted to pick as well, too, because the indoor tree 
was something that we had identified last year. And as you know, houseplants really came to the fore during the pandemic as people wanted to have nature indoors with them. And they started out small. You know, we had, you know, the cacti, we had, you know, pileas, all sorts of smaller plants, but really people were getting much more confident and wanting larger plants. And of course, I've got a few of those too. I've got a monster that actually looks like a monster. It's that big. But people are really wanting to have that feeling of a large plant indoors. We've seen architects building homes around trees. And I've actually gone back to, you know, speaking engagements as well, too, which is really exciting. And I was in Israel last week and the hotels there had actual jungles in them at this point. And just seeing the happiness of people being around indoor trees really makes you realize what a long-term trend this is, this is going to be. I personally have my eyes on a palm tree for Christmas for indoors. Christmas palm tree. I love that. I love that. Thanks so much to Lisa White, our creative director, and Andrea Bell, VP for Consumer Insights, for looking at the coming trends for the coming years. If you're a WGSN subscriber, you'll find our top trend reports already live on the site. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to WGSN.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new analysis and forecasts, focusing on how we can design a better, brighter future for our industries, including food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion and consumer tech. You can subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms, And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes? And don't forget to check out our, or rather my, new podcast, Lives of Tomorrow. It's out on all the major platforms, so head there and search for Lives of Tomorrow. My name is Carla Bazarshi, and I'm the CEO of WGSN. I'd also like to thank our podcast producer, Klaus Kanzel, and the sound designer, Ines Setemi. So that's it for 2022. Have a great end of the year. Look out for our first episode of 2023, when we'll be revealing some of the top cities to watch for 2023 with our City by City team. Until then, stay healthy.